Welcome back, listeners, to another Florida Keys weekly podcast and show. I'm Brett Myers, your weekly host. I'm excited today because we're going to talk about one of my favorite things in the world, which is sports, and what better place in the world than Key West to talk about baseball. And the guest I have today will make you understand why this is going to be so awesome and so cool. If you're not a baseball fan, don't turn the channel or don't listen to this podcast because it's still going to be full of amazing history and some things I promise you've never heard about the Florida Keys and Key West, and it's going to be incredibly entertaining with two of my favorite people um, that I really look up to when it comes to this subject here in Key West. Uh, Before we do that, Let's fill you in on uh, and say some thank yous to our radio listeners. WKWF FM 103.3 and AM 1600. You early risers, 7 a.m. Saturday and Sunday. We also have our friends over at WKEY 93.7. Thank you guys for listening on Sunday morning. Now, the rest of you who are not up that early, you know where to catch us. All formats on Spotify, Amazon, Apple, anywhere you can get a podcast. It's the Florida Keys weekly show the florida keys weekly show again brent myers and today i'm excited i'll, I'll kind of kick it off with this uh, a regular that comes on is our communications director over at the national marine sanctuary that's scott atwell now scott is a current and former professional he has been a broadcaster and the head of the alumni association at florida state he's called some major games across the country uh, in all kinds of sports so when he comes on he'll sound a lot better than me it's what he does that's who he is and then our other guest i I can't be more excited is the legendary key west high school baseball coach coach ralph henriquez Uh, his name is known throughout the country in the world of baseball we'll talk about some of his Uh, his background and his resume here just momentarily and kind of let you know what he's done over the years. If you, if you don't follow sports or live under a rock, as I'd like to say, then I'll fill you in on coach Enriquez. The reason this came about though, is Scott Atwell came to me not long ago and had a tribute that he wanted to talk about, which goes back into some history of one of his favorite players who just recently passed away. And this particular player that we will talk about was in the Braves organization. I'm from Atlanta originally. I am I am a diehard Atlanta fan. I'm unfortunately in the office with some Philly fans. We know what time of the year it is. They just eliminated us. But uh, as we get into the National League Championship and the American League Championship, as you listen to this, we may be heading into a World Series. Um, so a lot of things tie together today, but I really want to get Coach's perspective on the current state of baseball, some history here in Key West, some of the legendary players who have come out of here of Key West, and maybe some stories we don't even know about. We'll talk about that a little bit, and as we get into it here, we'll talk about uh, some other things to come. Scott, you came to me originally uh, with this idea. You want to talk about what you're going to be reading today, and let's tie in Coach and talk about talk about some baseball. Bruce Suter died a week ago today, and uh, when I started reading the news stories, of course, I was interested because I knew that he had passed through Key West, but there was a small tidbit in the story that really piqued my interest because I wasn't aware of how soon before he arrived here he had learned this new pitch that really changed his life, and because he was in sort of a make-or-break position when he came here, how much Key West played in his that tipping point of his life when he eventually became a Hall of Famer, but it could have gone the other way. And that's what made it really interesting. And Key West was the catalyst for it. And baseball is such a big deal down here. Even bigger, I would say, Ralph, maybe you can 
verify this, but back in the day, I think it was even bigger than it is today because we had so few options back in the seventies, right? There was no internet. There were no, like, no, no, no games to play. We had four TV stations and I spent half my life out at the baseball fields. I mean, that's what we did socially. Right. We still do. I mean, the only, the only, uh, entertainment, uh, sports entertainment was, goes back to Ted Turner with TBS where we used to get that channel, uh, here back in the days when I was very little. Uh, and we, we used to see America's team, which was the Atlanta Braves. And at one time, you know, Ted even managed the team. Uh, and it was known as, you know, his theme is America's, uh, team. So coach, let's do you justice. Let's read a little bit of your bio. We could probably dedicate the entire show to it. I know how humble you are, but it's amazing. We've had Tommy John and some incredible music stars, uh, national stars on this show. Uh, I don't think there's a bigger name than your name when it comes to Key West and sports coach. uh, We're talking about Coach Ralph Enriquez, the uh, baseball coach here in Key West. Two things I'll say about what you're talking about. I grew up a Braves fan. I came down here. I'm sitting with two conks, and and I know your lineage goes way back, both of you. I'm fairly new. I've been here 17, 18 years. Uh, I was always surprised at how many Braves fans there were when I got here, and I realized the TBS ties before the Marlins and how many people follow the Braves here. And the other thing I was really surprised, and Coach, this is a tribute to you, and I know the history goes on and on, but really what you accomplished here, and I'll tie this in with your bio, I was surprised. I come from Georgia where a lot of football Friday nights, and, and taking nothing away from football here in Key West and basketball and women's soft, you know, the softball was happening right now taking nothing away from the fans and the great coaches and the players that come through, but this is a baseball town. And I was so surprised. I mean, you think about Texas football and South Georgia up there, Scott, where you're at Florida state and Valdosta and Lowndes County, this place just bleeds and breathes baseball and coaches attribute to you. And to talk about that a little bit and where some of your Braves Atlanta Braves ties come in, uh, you won 360 plus games at Key West high school. This is probably a little outdated. I'm sure there's more now, uh, 157 uh, minor league games with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, you t- your total career coaching wins as a head coach at this point when I got the bios 538, if you win 538 of anything, anywhere, it's pretty amazing. You started coaching at Key West High School, Coach Ralph Enriquez, 1992, JV assistant, 1993, varsity assistant, became the head coach, 1994. In 1994, you were the 3A state runner-up and Final Four team. Uh, you were 27-5 and five that year. It took you one year. And then in 1995, you won a state championship. Nationally, that's the entire country ranked number two. The Key West team record was 31-5. and five. You won a state championship again in 96. That team was only ranked number one nationally in the country, and the program ran a 44-game win streak uh, team that was 35-2 and two that year. Happened to win another state championship in 2005 here in Key West. That team was nationally ranked number six at a record of 28-5. and five. And then you won the league championship for the Atlanta Braves Gulf Coast League in 2008. And you've helped place over 120 players in the college baseball or baseball scholarships. That's amazing to think about what all those young men probably have gone on to do, not just with baseball, with education. And at Key West High School, 11 players have been drafted into the first major league draft. And you managed 12 plus players in the Braves system that became major league baseball players. I would say Coach Ralph Enriquez knows a little bit about baseball. He knows a little bit about winning. And and has, has really made Key West, this small little town, 
Uh, uh, you don't really hear about a place this big. You usually see these big city schools or big county schools, and they can pull kids from everywhere with 4,000 kids in a high school. It's unheard of to see a place this size. And, Coach, I don't know what your secret recipe is. I know people must ask you all the time, how do you take a place as small as Key West with such a small pool and turn out kids who can play baseball with or as good or better than any other team in the country? How do you do that? Well, it's, it comes through just a lot of hard work and, and getting your players to to buy into what you bring. Uh, that's the, probably the, the best formula that there has. And, of course, I've been very fortunate uh, to have the experience uh, of player development, which is so important, and building a program and being associated with Atlanta and the people I got to be around and that were my mentors uh, that helped me understand how to develop teams, how to develop players, how to spend countless hours on a baseball field and, and be very demanding with players uh, in a two-way in a two-way view. Uh, one is being you know a quality student in the classroom, and then of course having that same discipline on a baseball field, and putting a lot of work into it and, and buying into what the program has to offer and. And it, you know, and it may go against what other people may think or believe or what they were accustomed to, but uh, the program, you know, grew at a, at a certain level. Because when I came here, uh, the committee that uh, selected me to be the head coach, I told them I was going to give them a three-year uh, business plan to build the program uh, that I wanted Key West to have, which was to get into the national limelight and put us at a certain level and um, and thank god that it, uh, it, it manifested itself into that into that level one of the great trivia questions i like to ask people is do you know what high school in florida has the most state champions <laughs> and they would never yeah. think key west but we do 11 time along with westminster christian my dad played on two of them in the 1950s his name is out there on the plaque i was a horrible baseball player ralph i, I that's why i was the statistician you know for uh for the team when i was in high school i was a horrible baseball player my dad was good and 11 state champions so the other piece that i think those players today have is the sense of the history and the responsibility that they have to live up to that history so and for those, I know Coach Enriquez here on the Florida Keys Weekly Show, we have Key West High School legendary coach, Ralph Enriquez. Coach, I know if I ask you some of the highlights of your career, it's going to be the difference you made in young people's lives. But for those that are listening, I don't want to just cherry pick and name drop, but to give some people that are just kind of casually listening and, and trying to understand the magnitude of Key West baseball and some of the success stories, who would you say some of the top players ever come out of Key I know Big Powell comes up a lot and and uh, and probably Bronson Arroyo who's here and then left. And then we've had uh, the young shortstop that went to Clemson there. Khalil uh, Green. Yeah, Khalil Green, some different players. But who would you say are some of the maybe top five, six players you coached here at Key West High School? Uh, well, you know, that, that's a tough question because there's been so many good, good players. Uh, you know, uh, when you talk about Boog Powell, uh, what the illustrious career he had, uh, you look at, uh, you know, his, his brother, Carl Taylor, stepbrother Carl Taylor, who, who played in the big leagues uh, as well. Vic Alberry, who goes way back, a Key West native who pitched uh, for five years uh, with the Minnesota Twins. Um, and, and, you know, there's multiple, Khalil Green, who I did coach, and, uh, and we worked very diligently with Khalil, and he was very talented, and, uh, and he wound up, of course, having a tremendous career in Clemson. Uh, and then we've had athletes, uh, Ben Harrison, um, we've had um, 
God, it's just so many great players that we've had here. Um, you know, my son was one of them, Ralph Henriquez uh, III, who was a 72nd overall pick with the Houston Astros. Uh, you know, and then you have guys like Randy Sterling, who's probably one of the best talents to ever come out of Key West High School, uh, who was a number three pick in the country in 1969, which is amazing for that to happen. And, uh, and you could see if you go to the stadium – um, at Key West High School, we have a, a, a about a 12-foot banner out there that has a history, and the players have been drafted. We have a draft board out there. And, you know, and you had so many great, great athletes, uh, and it was just amazing, uh, the players uh, that have come out of this small community um, that just – light up the boards with ability, talent, wanting to win. But the biggest part is the guys that were really, really special, and, and a lot of it is having that God-given talent like Randy had, is that they know what baseball meant to this island and to this community and the pride to put that uniform on every Friday night. And I think that was a selling ticket to these young men's success. Do you, you and so many coaches and, and guys who have come back that you coached, have so much talent and they go to the batting cages and they throw with these guys and they work throughout the year, which is a great asset for Key West. It's warm all year. We can play down here and get the kids out there. Do you typically know, as you develop a kid, do you typically know, hey, this kid's going to be special at 13, 14? Or do you see a change sometimes by the time they hit 16, 17 that, hey, this kid wasn't quite you know, going to be maybe a starter until a junior or senior year? How often in baseball? I know every sport's a little different with football and basketball. Is that something you usually have an eye for pretty early? Or do you, do you always kind of hang on and say, wait, this kid might develop a little later? How do you, how do you know? Well, I, I think a lot of that you, you have to throw away all of the uh, computer printouts and all of that that exist in baseball today. And, and I think baseball people have, you know, a, a, an eye for that or, or an inner gut feeling uh, for that. Uh, sometimes you see a young player who's 13 or 14 and plays in the youth leagues and, you know, the kid won every trophy, every award over there in Little League. And then when he comes over to the big field, to the high school, um, you know, at 13 or 14, that kid was probably maybe fully developed already. And the progression does not continue uh, to grow. And he gets passed by other players that maybe weren't that good when they was in a Pony League field for different reasons. And, it, and it's, really, it's, it's really more of an instinct, I think, of a manager. Um, I could tell you that I had a player uh, that played for me uh, on my championship team with the Atlanta Braves um, and uh, Martin Prado. Uh, Martin was my second baseman, a Venezuelan uh, little guy, uh, didn't have much ability, but he was my leadoff hitter. He was the life of the team uh, at second base and a great team member. And, um, and I remember in winter meetings and talking to staff uh, about Martin Prado, and they would tell me, you know, you're, you're way off base. This guy will never get out of A ball. And I said, well, I think you're mistaken. I think time will tell. But there's an inner feeling that I think Martin Prada will be a quality big leaguer and help the Atlanta Brave win ball games. Yeah. And, you know, and, and he did. And I think it's very instinctful. But you, you get taught over years uh, of different things that you look at in a player. And it's just not so much on the field. It's off the field as well. And, and that makeup part 
it makes a big difference. And, and that's one of the attributes that I know Martine brought other than the willingness uh, and wanting to be a very big baseball player one day, but not in the minor leagues, but in the big leagues. And that's what set it apart. Yeah, and, and I could talk Braves, RQS High School. We could dedicate two, three, four entire shows. So I, I want to keep bringing you on some, Coach, when you have time for us and just and talk more and more. Uh, taking it back to Key West High School sports in a very generic way, and Scott Atwell here as we talk to Coach Ralph Enriquez, uh, the legendary coach, Key West High School, and Scott chime in here. But another cliche sort of standard question, but I'm curious with so many great wins and moments in your tenure here, what – I'm sure the state championships always come up. What are some of the top two, three moments that really, when you look back and you think about it, that really, uh, and it may not have been the, the, the biggest winning team, I don't know, but what are some of the moments that really jump out to you? Well, you know, we've had so many, so many great wins and so many championships uh, from districts to regionals and then winning three state championships and one runner-up. Um, I think one of the highlight games had to be in 1996 when we were ranked number one in the country. We traveled up to uh, Mark Light Stadium at, in Miami, and we played number three in the country, Westminster Christian. Um, and that game was really marketed really well by uh, Rich Hoffman. And we had every local Miami station there. The stadium had about 4,000 people there, and it was one heck of a ball game. Uh, we lost to a two-run homer in the sixth inning. I still remember uh. it like yesterday. Uh, and, uh, and I remember after the ball game, uh, the UM coach, Jim Morris, comes up and says, Ralph, could you do this every weekend? You bring more people into this stadium than what we do when Clemson comes into Miami. And I said, Jim, I'd love to. But uh, it was just one of those games. And then all these championship games that we have played here in Key West. Key West is very special for ball games at that Rex Weech Field. And, uh, and winning regional ball games uh, at that stadium, for me, has been just as big as winning state championships in Sarasota. Uh, and there's been, you know, a few of those. But it's just, it's, just, it's just a continuing picture of these ball games coming back to your mind and saying, you know, this was a great moment, this was a great moment. Uh, and we've had many of those. When you do it this long, I know high school coaches, when you watch Hollywood uh, versions of this and it is true when you have these high school towns where winning is such a standard is such an expectation do you still feel pressure and if you feel that kind of pressure are you putting most I know you have such tremendous support from the parents and alumni and fans here in Key West but do you feel pressure from the community do you feel it from yourself or are you kind of past that where you don't do you, are you just able to enjoy this and not kind of feel that kind of pressure that some coaches might feel in a different town yeah, no, I've never felt, you know, pressure, whether it's been here in Key West or in Atlanta uh, or even, you know, with the Yankees. Uh, it's just an expectation I put on myself. Uh, I expect to be successful. And to be successful, you have to have a game plan and you have to convey that to your players. And then when you tie in the tradition of conch baseball, uh, which is what I wanted to bring back and revitalize back in 1994 because it, it started, you know, kind of tilting south a little bit when I came back. And uh, I wanted to bring it back. And, uh, and that is something that, you know, that I felt that we need to educate our players with, and we still do. I'll still take them in behind that dugout, and I tell them, this is who you play for. You don't play 
for Key West High School. You don't play for nobody but this program. You belong to this program, and this is the history of this program. And it's, you know, our obligation to continue this for our baseball community, which goes back into the 50s, and the winning and continue to win and do this thing the right way and to have a lot of class in the community and, and get you guys to win and get you guys to go play at the next level, which is what my mission has always been. Yeah, and I'm going to bring Scott here in a moment. He's going to read something, and we're going to transition into some of your Braves and professional baseball uh, background. But before I do that, last Key West question I have for you as you talk about this, Coach Ralph Enriquez, when I see such a winning program and all the wins you've put together, there's something consistent you're able to do. And I think great leaders, whether you run a business or you run a nonprofit, in this case sports, to be able to continue a culture and a, and a winning culture. And say you have some young coaches listening in, they all want the kid who can throw a curveball at 94, age 30, all the things that we want our kids to be able to do it. But there's, there's more to it when you have a winning culture and you're bringing kids in year in and year out. What would you tell a young coach who's getting started that maybe this is what you need to look at, need to focus on if you're going to build a culture here that looks something like what you've done over the last 30 years? Well, I think you have to be true to what you're doing and, and you have to remember that number one, uh, Every culture is different. Uh, this was a winning culture that I came into here in 94, and, and it wasn't winning prior to that. Uh, and I wanted to go ahead and to have some kind of vision, uh, which is what did I want to do with Key West High School Baseball and what did we want to do, which the first step was to sell these kids to, hey, you're going to have four-hour practices. Hey, you're going to have to have a certain GPA. Hey, you're going to come to school dressed a certain way, and you're not going to wear flip-flops. Right. And you're not going to be this. And, and, you, and you create these standards for a program. And, and that's what I think young coaches need to come in um, and, and learn to be a coach, a leader, a visionary, and not be so interested in being, you know, and it, I don't want to make this sound bad, but you, we're not there to be friends. Yep. You know, I'm there to be your coach, your leader, and to help you be the best player that you could be. But in, in the premises of this, we're going to focus on the program, not the individual. Yeah. And whatever we do is going to be what is best for this program. And with that, we grow as a team. And as a team, you can win in anything because you got to build together a good team and we have to be in it together. And that's what you want to do as a young coach and, and set your standards and go from there and, and don't let no one, you know, move you to the left or to the right because you're afraid you can offend somebody. You have to do what you believe in. All right, I'm reading that book when it comes out, so I'm just letting you know. I'm, get, I'm getting <laughs> chill bumps already. Uh, and we could talk about this a lot more in the future with Coach Ralph Enriquez. I've got Scott Atwell here who goes way back in this in uh, Key West sports tradition and on to Florida State. Uh, he, you currently call the games here in Key West, Scott. Is that right still? Uh, public address announcer. Public address announcer from Rex Weech Field. A very pleasant good evening, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. That's why he sounds so good. So, the golden so voice. That voice is uh, about to take over the show here for a moment. So this is why we eventually got Coach Enriquez on the show. Scott came and said, hey, I want to talk about Bruce Sutter, like we alluded to. Uh, Suter alluded to early in the show, and I said, hey, this is this goes back to my favorite teams and the Braves, and we've got Coach Enriquez in town. Could you get him on? Scott said, oh, yeah, I can get him on. So, uh, and, and sure enough, here we are. So, Scott, I'm going to let you kind of take over, read this. I think it's an, a really moving tribute, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about that history in the Braves. 
When Bruce Souter died last week after a brief bout with cancer, he was universally eulogized in news reports as a pitcher whose baseball career was resurrected by his adoption of a little-known pitch called the split-finger fastball. Even lesser known is that Souter perfected the pitch as a minor leaguer in Key West. Yes, the southernmost city had a nascent history as a professional sports town, beginning with a single season in 1952, but more broadly in 1969 as a Florida State League farm team of the San Diego Padres and lasting until 1975 as the Class A affiliate of the Chicago Cubs. In between, the local team suited up as the Suncaps in 1971 and then as the Conks from 1972 to 74, playing home games at Long Lost Wickers Field on Kennedy Drive. The Suncaps were an unaffiliated unaffiliated co-op team with a roster stocked by misfits from other programs. The Conks were Cubs hopefuls. Key West was excited by the novelty of a pro team, attracting more than 40,000 spectators in each of the first three seasons. But after back-to-back last-place finishes in 1971 and 72, the turnstiles dwindled by half. The decommissioning of the Navy base also shrunk the fan base. One of the team's co-owners was local Dr. Julio Depoo. I can remember him sitting in his wheelchair at the third base corner of the grandstand guarding a box of baseballs until the umpire signaled him for replacements. Baseballs were no doubt a major cost center for a minor league team, and once, when legendary Ernie Banks was visiting Key West as a roving coach in the Cubs minor league system, I retrieved a foul ball and asked him to sign it. Believing the baseball was still playable, Mr. Cub, as he was known, asked me to return it to Dr. Depoo and promised to sign another one after the game. Later, I waited underneath the grandstand in a cramped office listening to Banks regale management about the possibility of bringing spring training to Key West, but he never mentioned the baseball and I went home empty-handed. That moment forever soured me on Mr. Cub, though it was, I'm sure, an unfair judgment. Bruce Souter's 1974 team also finished in last place, but minor league baseball is less about standings and more about player development, and Souter was about to develop into a big leaguer. Soon after turning pro, he struggled with arm trouble and used his own signing bonus money to pay for a nerve operation, keeping it secret from the Cubs. But the surgery cost him even more, pitch velocity, and at age 21, he was on the verge of getting released when a Cubs assistant approached him at spring training in 1974 and offered to teach him a new pitch. Suter's long fingers provided a perfect launch pad for the split finger, and when camp broke, he was dispatched to Key West with instructions to work out the kinks. Suter appeared in 18 games for the Conks that season, all but one in relief, logging 50 strikeouts and 40 innings on the mound. The previous season, in a different Class A league, His earn run average was above four, but in Key West, armed with the split finger, his ERA dropped to 1.35. The Cubs promoted Suter to double-A late in the season, and by 1976, he was pitching at Wrigley Field, the first of a dozen seasons as the most dominant reliever in the big leagues, where he logged exactly 300 career saves with three different clubs, including the Braves. I tried to bunt on him because I can't hit him, Reds catcher Johnny Bench told the LA Times. In 1977, he's the best. In 2006, Souter was anointed as such, elected to baseball's Hall of Fame with the distinction of being the first inductee to never start a game in the major leagues. No doubt Bruce Souter is the most successful player who ever suited up in the home clubhouse at Wickers Field, but as many as 26 Key West players eventually made it to the big leagues, according to BaseballReference.com.
The isolation of the made pro, of the keys made pro baseball a difficult business proposition. Players were known to sleep in the clubhouse because of, because affordable housing was scarce. The team's trainer lived in a trailer beyond the outfield fence. When Jack Mull showed up as manager in 1974, he found an equipment room that included only six wooden bats that were filled with moisture. He tried unsuccessfully to bum replacements from other teams. Even though the 1975 Key West Cubs won 65 games and earned a spot in the Florida State League playoffs, the parent club relocated their Class A team to Pompano Beach the next season. It was a sad reality for me, a young teenager who had spent a couple of those summers volunteering as a bat boy for the visiting team. A lot of those visiting players made it big, and decades later I ran into Mike Heath, who visited Key West as a Fort Lauderdale Yankee en route to a 14-year career as a big league catcher. When I mentioned picking up his bats, the first thing that crossed his mind about Key West was pre-game meals. We ate at a drugstore, he laughed. I immediately knew, of course, that he was talking about the old dentist pharmacy at the corner of Simonton and South Streets, where the food and the company made it a popular dining spot for locals. One of my favorite visiting teams was the West Palm Beach Expos, who had a friendly manager named Gordon McKenzie. Once during pregame warm-ups, Mac was sitting on the bench watching a low-flying airplane approaching the stadium with smoke trailing from behind. He leapt from the bench and started screaming about a crash. I had to explain to him about our mosquito planes. Later, while covering the spring training during my sports reporting days, I ran into Mac when he was a bench coach with the Detroit Tigers, and he walked me around the clubhouse, introducing me as his minor league bat boy. Gordon died in 2014. And now Bruce Suter is gone at the age of 69, and I'm filled with nostalgia as I type on this keyboard. Don't get me wrong, I love the George Meyer football complex located where Wickers Field once stood. But every time I pass the intersection of 14th Street and Duck Avenue, it's the Wickers Field grandstand that I see, and it's a window to my childhood. I'm going to let you and Coach, that was Scott Atwell, uh, talking about some incredible memories and some names that Hall of Fame, some of the greatest names in baseball history. That And I'm always amazed at who has come through Key West and why they were here and what they did when they were here. And, and I'm always surprised. I always hear a new story. And Coach, I know you, Coach Enriquez, Ralph Enriquez, I know you know a lot of those stories. You and Scott just want to quickly talk about uh, Wickersfield and some of those memories you're talking about there and, and, and maybe some things you recall, Coach. Well, I remember, you know, to start with the foundation of that with uh, Dr. DePoo and, and who was uh, the president, GM, and then, of course, it, when he stepped down, Andy Saunders uh, wound up being the GM. But I think one of the two prominent names in the baseball community that oversaw that, and they had the office under the uh, grandstand. When you said grandstand, it came back to me was uh, Bill Cates, Bill Cates, yeah. who was a tremendous baseball man, and Clayton Sterling, who they used to be under there every night talking baseball, and you know, and Bill, you know, had a lot of um, insight on baseball and, and tremendous knowledge, and he was, you know, a man's man, and when he said something, it happened. Um, but um, you know, the memories of Wickersfield, and when you mentioned, you know, Mike Keith, who had a long career with the Yankees, he was a high school shortstop, and I used to love climbing the wall and watching the Yankees come into town and watching him play shortstop, and he was converted from a shortstop to a catcher. Wow! And you've seen so many uh, players uh, play there that wound up being big leaguers, and of course, Suter was, you know, the, the main guy that you know had an illustrious career and with a split finger that helped prolong a lot of other players and pitchers that were 
you know, looking for that extra pitch, uh, which we call an out pitch. You know, they get to that two strikes, but they can't put hitters away. And uh, and one of the pitchers that comes to my mind that developed it, who had a tremendous career, was Roger Clemens. Roger, at the end of his career, picked up the split finger. Didn't realize to that. To go yeah. along. Well, you know, he was up in age. He was in his 40s when he was pitching with us with the Yankees, and he only would pitch uh, half a season. Mr. Steinbrenner contracted him for half a year, and he would come in and join the club in June and July to get that second win in the year because he couldn't handle a full season any longer and he still would get the ball up there pretty good and he was still dominating and and fearful on that mound but he adopted and went to that split finger and uh, and it did a lot of things for him because now hitters weren't just looking for a fastball now they had a second pitch to look for uh, with that split finger mm-hmm. and, and when that was on he was in, unhittable but going back to to Wickersfield you know so many names you know Scott come back to me uh, there and one of the the big moments that I remember and which I remember being on the wall there as a young boy chasing balls into the Poinciana field and trying to get baseballs because we didn't have money for baseballs to play at Bayview Park and stuff so when it was baseball season we would go and get the foul balls at Poinciana <laughs> and put them in a little grocery bag and take them so we could have balls to play with at home um, was the players that, that came through there but I remember one night uh, the Pompano Mets were in town, and uh, Randy Sterling was pitching that night. He just got drafted out of Key West High School. And the other thing uh, that went along with that ticket was uh, Richie Garcia. Uh, Richie Garcia, who wound up umpiring 20-plus years in the major leagues and recognized as one of the top three umpires in the big leagues, he left uh, the U.S. Postal Service here in Key West. And I remember one of his ball games when he did it in Key West, people were screaming and hollering at him that he was crazy for leaving the Postal Service and going to be an umpire. And Randy was pitching, and I sat on the wall watching Randy pitch for the Pompano Mets at 18 years of age and Richie umpiring. And it came to me and said, you know, here's a gentleman, you know, that was a mailman, left that career to become a major league umpire. And who knew at that time he was going to be Richie Garcia. And Randy, you know, who was – like I think probably the most talented baseball player to come out of Key West history. Uh, And I said, you know what? I want to be like that, you know, and those were the things that inspired young people because we saw those kind of things being, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And, and when you said Mike Keith, I remember that blonde headed guy that with a little kind of long hair kind of reminded me a little bit like Khalil green. Mm -hmm. And he was a shortstop for the Yankees. And, uh, and he wound up being converted to a catcher and he wound up, you know, playing in the big leagues for many years. 14 years isn't bad. No, it's not. getting a nice check, I tell yeah, you that. But it's funny, he still remembers Dennis Pharmacy is where they ate their, yeah. their meals. And the other name we didn't mention was Brooks Carey, who, uh, of course, was a high draft pick of the Orioles out of Florida State and came back to pitch uh, Wickers, not at Wickers Field, but at Key West High School in Stadium game, in 1977. Yeah, that, that game, yes. yeah, minor league game. Yep. Yeah, so that's Scott Atwell speaking with Coach Ralph Enriquez, Key West High School. So many memories, so many names. Coach, you're, we have a lot of Braves fans. I'm from there. I'm I'm a big Braves fan. We have a lot of Key West, a lot of South, entire state of Florida with TBS and all those years in the 80s and 90s. Uh, who were some of the, the names that – stick out in your mind that you coached there in the minor league system. And I know you, you spent a lot of time with the major league coaches as well, even the current coach. Um, any of those players you can talk about uh, back in your career there? Yes, I've got a lot of uh, 
read a lot of stories uh, with Major League Baseball with, uh, you know, the players that we drafted, uh, free agency players that we drafted uh, in the Major League draft. Uh, some of the guys that really stuck out, you may know uh, from the Atlanta area, was Jeff Francoeur. Oh, yeah. Jeff came to me. Frenchy. He was yeah, Frenchy, <laughs> yeah. He was, he was quite a guy. Uh, I can tell you a quick story. He was uh, our number one pick. He was the first player the Atlanta Braves ever gave $2.2 million to out of high school. And I was coaching in an advanced uh, rookie league called the Appalachian League. Mm-hmm. And um, the front office uh, said, Ralph, we're going to send him to you. We're not going to send him to the Gulf Coast League. We want him to work with you and break in with you because this guy's going to be a future of the Atlanta Braves. And uh, Paul Snyder, who was a director of scouting and player development at that time, uh, he had called me and he said, Ralph, I saw your lineup and you got Frenchie hitting third in the lineup. And I said, yes. And he says, you're going to get yourself fired and you're going to get me fired too. And I, and I used to call him Papa because we had so much respect for Paul. And, uh, and I said, Papa, he's the best hitter I got. This kid could handle anything and he's going to be fine. And he says, I hope so because I tell you what. I'm not ready to retire yet, and you're just starting your career, and I don't want you to end it this way. Well, that year, Frank Orr hit 336. He was a player of the league, um, and he missed a good part of June with negotiations in his contract, and um, and he wound up two years later going from double-A to the big leagues in the first half. He did okay there, yeah. His first half of the year when Bobby, you know, because Bobby had a thing which I, I could understand. Bobby uh, – didn't like experimenting with young players. That's Coach and, Cox for the listeners out and, there, Bobby uh, Cox. I'm sorry, yeah. and uh, and Bobby liked his veterans, which I don't blame him. You know, Chipper Galarraga and and those kind of guys there, and Andrew Jones and the pitching staff that Atlanta had. You know, it, it's kind of bringing in you know 21, 22 year old kid for Bobby was you know kind of jittery, and uh, but they brought him in and told him he was big league ready, and. Uh, and Brian Snicker was his manager in Double A at that time, and said, "No, he's ready." And uh, they put him in and played the second half of the year in right field, hit fourteen, fifteen home runs, but he led the league in assists and throwing people out. He from was right a machine, field. yeah, yeah. Man. And uh, and he was just awesome. And then um, you know, and I've had a, a lot of guys that I've you know played for me that wound up in the big leagues. But the other one that I'm really fond of, and I have a lot of guys that are, that are very close to me was Rafael Foucault, if you remember Foucault. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, this young guy was my second baseman in Danville, Virginia. And um, and it was kind of hairy because the other shortstop I had, his name was Juan Velasquez, who was from Puerto Rico. And Juan had signed for a $200,000 signing bonus from Puerto Rico. And Foucault signed for $5,000 from the Dominican Republic. <laughs> and Foucault, you know, I kind of took him under our wing, take him to breakfast every morning. He'd go to the weight room and, you know, and he would just have a desire to be a major league player like, you know, very few players had. He was in the same plateau with Martin Prado, you know. Yeah. Foucault's not a big guy. And, he um, could fly, though. And, and, and he could Oof. run. And, uh, and, I had, and I had him that year uh, with us there in Danville and – at the end of the year, all the evaluators are coming in, the national cross-checkers. And I have a cross-checker come to me and tell me, Ralph, what do you think of Foucault? And I said, well, we're making a big mistake here. Uh, we need to put Foucault a shortstop. You need to get rid of Juan Velasquez. I know you gave him $200,000. 
uh, and Foucault got 5,000, but this is your table setter. This is the future of the Atlanta Braves for Chipper Jones to drive in a lot of runs, and nobody throws like this kid. And the cross-checker said, Ralph, you're absolutely right. Well, Mr. Shoreholtz had come into Danville, and Velasquez uh, went and told Mr. Shoreholtz, hey, your manager over here thinks that your second baseman needs to be at shortstop. He's a table setter and the next guy to play in the big leagues at shortstop over Walt Weiss and uh, Ozzie Guillen. Mm-hmm. And no one throws like him. And he says, oh, I told that to Shoreholtz, so you may get fired. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, well, you know what? I have to say what I feel. It's what we talked earlier in the show about that inner instinct in your gut of what a player could do. Uh. And um, and they said, Ralph, just leave him at second base. Do not move him. I said, no, I will not. Said, but we're going to invite him to instructional ball, and we're going to see what you know what could happen. Well, the scout that signed that young shortstop from Puerto Rico, he did pass away. But that year, in in, in instructional ball, Foucault got moved to shortstop, and he made a lot of errors. And they told me, hey, your boy's making a lot of errors, coach. And I said, why? And um, and I go to one of the ball games there because I was there managing one of the other teams there in instructional ball, and I'm seeing Foucault getting to a lot of ground balls that most shortstops couldn't get to. That would be a base hit to left field or to center field. And he's making throws, falling away from first base, and the ball's just flying all over the place. And I says, do you see what's going on with him? So this kid gets to ground balls that other players can't even come close to. Mm -hmm. We just got to get him to make a couple of adjustments, and this kid is going to be fine. And um, so they left him there, and the next year he wound up settling down, getting instructed with our infield instructors, which was Raphael Belliard, and got him to get in control of of himself and his body. And uh, the kid took off, played very well, and he wound up – you know, he wound up getting to the big leagues and was a rookie of the year. And then I remember Chipper, you know, willing to take a, a long-term contract and defer a lot of money yep. so they could sign Rafael Foucault to a long-term contract. But unfortunately, his agent had called me and had told me, you know, the Dodgers are coming after Rafi for a five-year deal for $50 million. Mm-hmm. And he's and he's having a hard time with it. So Foucault called me and he says, Papa, uh, what am I going to do? He says, $50 million goes a long way. And I says, I know it does, and you're making good money, and you have to go where the money's at. And he did, and he wound up being with the Dodgers, and he came back to the Bra- to, uh, to the Marlins for a year or so. Mm-hmm. And I ran into him about a year and a half ago. Uh, he's with his son now, and he lives in Miami. And uh, and But it's just so many players like that. Brian Pena, you mm-hmm. know, is another one who played in Atlanta, got tra- uh, traded to the, to the Cincinnati Reds. Mm-hmm. A lot of pitchers we, we went through. I remember seeing Adam Wainwright come through our system. Oh. Just so many guys, and that's what made Atlanta be so special was a player development, and we became um, kind of the copycat because I know when I wound up um, – with the Yankees, uh, um, they called me in the office and I said, okay, Ralph, you're a Yankee now and there's nothing like being a Yankee and working for George. Now I want you to tell me, how do you guys do that over there in Atlanta? <laughs> well, it's, you, know, you, you say that jokingly, but Coach Ralph Rodriguez, Key West High School coach, 
as much winning as you've done here, it's not a surprise because when people talk about the Atlanta Braves anywhere in the country and anybody that knows baseball, the farm system is always the conversation. It's how they develop their players. Knowing that you've been a big part of that and we're a part of that is not a surprise. Uh, we've got about two minutes left. We went over today. Uh, happy to go over today with Scott Atwell and Coach Ralph Enriquez. Uh, the two questions I have are more baseball-related questions. We'll, we'll do a little send-off and talk Major League Baseball here in playoff season. You maybe think about Bobby Cox. You're talking about John Scherholz in those days. I wonder if Snicker learned from that because he takes a lot of young guys now and uses that speed more than I think Bobby ever really did. He had Lofton and, and, and some of those, and Grissom and some guys. But I feel like these Braves teams are built for playoffs a little, a little more with the speed and contact. Uh, we were built with pitching back then, obviously, with Schmoltz and Glavin. But that said... A lot of talk right now, and as much winning as you've done and cultures you've developed, Coach Enriquez, I wonder where you weigh in on this. A lot of people say, look, the Dodgers win all these games this year. The Braves win all these games this year. And we see it time in and time out. They'll sit at the end of the year and wait for the next team to come up. And it's usually the hottest team. They're hot. They're popping. So this year it's the Phillies. It's the Padres. And we're seeing it on the other side a little bit too. But those two teams plowed through the Dodgers and the Braves like like a knife and butter. I mean, it was just like no one was ready for it. Is there, I mean, you want to buy, you want to rest, you want to rest those arms, I know, but is there a disadvantage to sitting there and waiting on these teams to come up and smack you in the face, or is that just just a coincidence that it works out that way? It's really, I don't think there's really a set answer for that. Um, you know, baseball's a funny game, a challenging game, and uh, and I remember the words of Brooks Carey that baseball will break your heart one day. <laughs> <laughs> and Brooks, he used to love to say that to people, and he would tell me that. Um it's hard, and, and a lot of teams that, you know, have that momentum going and they have that routine going and they're playing well and they're hot, you know, they want to keep playing. They don't want to have, uh, you know, that four or five days off. It's not a good thing, I could tell you that, and, and I firmly believe that. Um, what makes a team click, you know, is just kind of all parts of the game coming together, your pitching, your defense, guys in the middle of the lineup driving in runs, guys in the back of the lineup being productive and getting on base. And the game has changed a lot uh, as a pass, but you're noticing the teams that win more games now in these big ball games, they're winning them with home runs now. Yeah, uh, Home runs has become very big, you know, where years back it was more, you know, batting average, cut down strikeouts. The game has changed. Uh for many reasons. Uh, however, um, it's just hard to figure out. And I was telling this to a couple of my players the other day, uh, you know, with the Phillies, you know, Joe Girardi, I think is, is one heck of a baseball coach. Uh, and he's done, you know, great things. And, and he's an old school manager, hard, you know, hard nose, got the Yankee way. Um, and here, you know, the team was just kind of struggling. They get rid of Joe. Here comes a new head coach in. Manager comes in, and then the team takes off. And now, potentially, you know, they could be going, have a shot to go to the World Series now. Explain that. Honestly, there is no explanation, you know, for that. And, of course, I tell this to my players. Now, the key is every year somebody has to win, right? But the key is, is can you repeat that? You know, and when you could repeat it like, you know, the Braves did every year for 13 years, we won the National League East, uh, the Yankees, what they've done, and mm -hmm. the Dodgers. I mean, it, it just happens as, you know, and then they'll say, well, nobody hit. The pitching was good enough for the Dodgers, but nobody hit. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what happens when, you know, you, it's just putting everything together that clicks. And, uh, and if one guy cools off, another guy gets hot. Um, but, 
it's just there's really no explan- set explanation or set uh, formula for that. It's just like you mentioned, whoever's playing best, whoever's the hottest at that time. Because at the, at this point, these are the top teams in Major League Baseball mm-hmm. with Major League players and best players in the world, and they're going to compete, and, and anything is possible. And that's why we pay money to go see them play. That's it. Well, <laughs> absolute honor to have Scott Atwell. Scott, I'm always blown away by your stories and your history and your involvement here for so many years and here and beyond in sports. And then, of course, the legendary Coach Ralph Enriquez and your career and what you continue to do, not only in sports, but in a lot of people's lives, uh, young men's lives and this community. So thank you for that. And thanks for coming on. I, I hope we can get you back on and I will bug you with all kinds of sports and baseball questions again. Scott, you want to send us off? What do we say, Coach? It's uh, the 11-time Conk Cafe needs to be the 12-time Conk Cafe. So let's do it in 2023. Yeah, I, I think we, we have a good chance. We have a pretty talented pitching staff this year that we are excited about, and the community is going to get really excited to see these young guys on the mound this year. Absolutely. You heard it right here. Don't miss that this year. We'll all be out there to support Conk Baseball here on the Florida Keys Weekly Show. We'll see you next week. I want to thank Scott Atwell, Scott Atwell and the legendary coach, Key West Baseball High School coach, Ralph Henriquez. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. See you next week.